This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts, leading the league in podcasting entertainment. What's up, what's up, real MVPs, Ricky Widmer here, along with the one, the only, Brandon Swanee Swanson. Hey, hey, hey. And we are back with another edition of the Primetime Podcast, right here on Most Valuable Podcast, and Brandon, at your... Your one-stop shop for college football, college basketball, and NFL draft, NBA draft. Got to throw that in there. But before we start, Brandon, I'm going to actually let them in behind the curtain. This is the third time we have started the podcast so far. First one was me with the camera. It wasn't really that even on both sides. Wanted to make sure it looks good. The second time, there was a spider on our board. Um, and we had to uh, take care. I'm going to air quote, take care of that. So if you know what I mean. The spider is no longer with us. If you're a spider lover, I'm sorry, but he was kind of in my territory. And this is my domain up in here. So third time we're starting this one. Thank you guys for checking out the primetime podcast, talking about college football, basketball. You know the spiel. I just said it. Today we got a jam-packed show. We're talking all draft today. We've got two NFL draft topics, one NBA draft topic. Then next week, so just so they have a plan for our holiday, I'm going to call it our holiday break, although it's not really a break, is next week tentatively, all this is, the, this next week is subject to change. Two weeks from now is not. It will either be myself and Dave or myself, Dave, and Sean. We're going to do a full primetime podcast while you are off on break for Christmas, a full break for Christmas. Um, we're going to do a ton of NBA draft topics. So three NBA draft topics next week. The week after will be our big board, and it is confirmed that Dave Oster will be guest appearing on the Primetime Podcast to go through that. So pretty much starting from now, three full weeks of draft content either one way or another. But before we get into everything for today, Got to go through the housekeeping, though, quickly for you guys. Make sure to check out patreon.com backslash Podcast. Got to say thank you to our newest patron, Soapy Muffin, at the $5 tier level. And, Brandon, I'm going to ask you the same question I asked Mark Weber this week on Too Old the Game. How much money would it take you if health ramifications had nothing to do with it? How much money would it take you to eat a blueberry muffin or your favorite muffin Doused in Dawn soap, a soapy muffin. Uh, I would do it for a lot of money. What's a lot of money? You gonna put, put a target on that? Yeah, I'll do it for one million dollars. For one million, not a penny less. Not nine hundred ninety-nine dollars. No, because if you could do it for a million dollars, I mean, I, I, I would said probably, a penny less. And I would win a I would, lot of pennies I would, less. I would probably, I would probably do it also for you know like five hundred dollars, but a would million you do it for a dollar. No. No, it's not enough. A dollar seventy-five. Got to get yourself a water from at no. least the water from the pop machines here. No, I mean if you can go as high as you possibly can. <laughs> I mean I could say more. Obviously, mm-hmm. there's more than yeah. a million, but a million dollars that'd be that'd that's be a, outstanding. That's a good price for you. But yeah. thank you to Soapy Muffin for supporting us on Patreon, as well as all of our patrons who support us at patreon.com backslash most podcast. You can also support us by going down below in the description. We're selling MVP t-shirts. You can buy it there. You can get it at most podcast.com. You can catch MVP each and every day. And then last but not, please make sure to go on to iTunes and Apple podcasts. Give us a rate, give us a review. And Brandon, as I always do, got to check the first off, I got to do not disturb my phone. So it does, 
doesn't make a vibbing noise during the podcast. But number two, got to go to the primetime podcast. And is it Tutu Boivier? Is he still? Yep, Tutu Boivier still. The most recent spot, giving us that five-star rating. If you want your comment read here live on the podcast, make sure to go and rate and review the Primetime Podcast on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. But, Brandon, what we're looking at today, NFL draft, NBA draft, we're going to look at which prospects need a strong bowl game um, in whatever bowl game they're in, college playoff, New Year's Six, lesser bowl, then we're going to dive into some more NFL draft. How high will the title's a little weird? How high will Will Greer be drafted? And then we're going to look at an NBA draft topic, kind of looking in depth at Ru- Rui Hachimura, one of my favorite names to say, Hachimura, the Gonzaga Bulldog forward. We're going to look at him to end the show before we officially end our show, making our picks for week two of Bull Week and give an update on our Bull Mania Pick'em group. But, Brandon, let's start NFL Draft, kind of looking at some prospects that need a strong game in their bowl game in order to help their draft stock. I'm going to kick it over to you first. Who's a guy you're looking at who needs a strong bowl game to help his draft stock come late April? You know, I'm going to go with the Alabama running back, Damian Harris. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say him because... we've talked about before we, on the podcast. We, we have talked about him a number of times now. And he was a, a running back that started in my in my first big board. Mm-hmm. And then we've done our second big board for the NFL draft. He was... He was not in it. I don't. I don't believe. Mm-hmm. Or if he was, he was towards the bottom. I cannot remember. But I can tell you that his last couple of performances to end the season, from November tenth to the Georgia game, fourteen carries for fifty-three yards and a touchdown against Mississippi State. Seven carries for eighty-three yards against the Citadel. Nine carries for forty-one yards against Auburn, and then against Georgia, nine carries for fifty-two yards. Mm-hmm. Damian Harris has not been knocking anyone's socks off the last couple of weeks. He didn't knock anyone's socks off in that last couple of weeks of the season. Part of that is usage by Alabama, and mm-hmm. part of that's just the way that they were going with their game plan. But that is still a little discouraging that he wasn't able to get even 100 yards. He only had two 100-yard rushing games this season. He had three last year, and he had four the year before that. So every year he's diminished by one mm-hmm. uh, 100-yard rushing game. He only has 771 yards, seven touchdowns on the season. Now, that's nothing to scoff at, of course, but I think where Damian Harris at one point was maybe looking at, uh, was maybe looking like one of the better running backs, and while I still think he is probably one of the better running backs in this draft class, Mm -hmm. there is still a lot of room for him to improve, improve on that draft stock for what maybe at one point could have been a late first round and an early second is maybe looking more like now a middle to late second, early third, possibly even into a fourth. So mm-hmm. that's that's where I think a couple of good games here, a good game against Oklahoma, and then what hopefully will be a game for Alabama against whoever it could be, whether it's Notre Dame or whether it's Clemson, Need to have two really solid games there, and he could certainly do it against Oklahoma, a defense that has a lot of holes. Well, and the thing that kind of, for me, makes this interesting as well is there are, like, Damian Harris to me is not the only running back 
that needs a strong performance. Don't don't say in too many. Don't say too many others. I've got more. Well, I that's, that's what my I'm next one. Like, I do. Um, but the one that I want to say, I just want to bring into this conversation, and I hope he's not the next one you were going to say is Bryce Love. Was he one of them? No, he was not because okay. he is so well, far down on my list. And the reason why I bring him up is because before the season, I be- I believe we'd all say like, oh, our positional rankings were Bryce Love at the top. Than Damian Harris. Where now, because of the season Bryce Love has had, it's kind of a little mixed. And Damian Harris, with a, to me, solid bowl game, a solid combine, a solid pro day, can help his stock and raise his stock to where I still believe what I said in our segment that we did about Damian Harris about um, could he be a first round talent. I think he could be a first-round pick in the NFL draft still. I think that there could be a team late in the first round that could take a stab at Damian Harris. Now, would I have him there right now? No. But I believe that he has that potential to do so if he has a good game and shows some better things. But also, Bryce Love is a guy that, I mean, just thinking about the running back position, he's got to have a good game against Pitt in the Sun Bowl, the um, uh, Hyundai Sun Bowl, because he was originally the guy that was the top running back in 2017, and now it's like, wow, he, like Todd McShay has, it says he projects as a day-two pick at this point. That is not good. And, I mean, he's one guy. I mean, there's other guys, like, from Michigan State, there's one. From Memphis, there's another. I'm not saying names because I don't know who's the next running back that you have on your list. But that is just one thing that I think, not just with Damian Harris, but with Bryce Love as well. And the other guys who are also in this kind of, I'm going to say, thick running back pool. Yeah, I, you know, I think that Bryce Love has been a perfect example of coming out a year late. Mm-hmm. He should just with, struck with, while the iron was hot. With having, with having the season that he had last year, mm-hmm. and of, of course for anyone who is a in, who's in the media or who is some sort of personality on a podcast talking about this, which you and I are, mm-hmm. we are so we we can be so talking out of both sides of our mouth. Mm-hmm. Oh well, he had a great season, but is, if if he comes out too early, will he be seen? He should I, go. He should go back. I just, and now I now the season not... now the season goes be- poorly for mm-hmm. him, and we say, well, he should have come out earlier. Hindsight's so always twenty twenty. The, the, the player doesn't win, obviously, mm-hmm. in those well, situations. It's but... kind of like Colin Cowherd, where it was like um, Dave was actually telling me this, where it was like coming into the draft, it's like Sam Darnold. He's so great. This is why he's good. And now that Sam Darnold hasn't been good. Cowherd will be like, I warned you. I told you what to expect. It's like, no, dude, you hyped him up. You didn't bash him. Now you're doing this trying to make you seem like you're right. I'm just hoping I don't sound like that when it comes to I Bryce just, Love. I just think with Bryce Love, we loved him last year. No mm-hmm. pun intended. We really we really <laughs> liked what he did last season. He was doing a It just seemed uh-huh. like every single game he did everything right. Especially after they had Christian McCaffrey. Yeah. So they went from, him, from McCaffrey to... To Bryce Love. And I think people probably got excited that Bryce Love was going to be the next Christian McCaffrey mm-hmm. type of player who would be coming out from Stanford, who would be, uh, you know, a, a guy so an incredibly talented, going to a team, being a difference maker in the 
in the running game, uh, being able to be more utilized and, and, and better utilized in the pass game where he would be able to work on that and, and grow as a, a pass catching back. This season was just such a step backwards for him. Injuries plagued him, bad games, poor performances, mm-hmm. just not the guy that we saw a season ago. Mm-hmm. And and that's where this is not going to define who he ends up being in the NFL. It doesn't have to, at least. Mm-hmm. He's going to have to have a really good combine. He's going to have to have a lot of good meetings with teams leading up mm-hmm. to that. Proving that he is the guy from last season, not mm-hmm. this year, and then it doesn't, it won't necessarily matter. He'll end up being a could mm-hmm. end up being a gem for a team in the middle rounds. But right now, he is not going to be a guy who goes probably in day one, certainly mm-hmm. not in round one, like what he could have last year. Well, and just to kind of move on, I'm going to go from offense to defense now, and the guy that I think needs to have a strong bowl game is Devin Bush, the linebacker from Michigan. Because depending on how you see it, and I kind of did a little bit of a... I did a little bit of a 180 in my mock draft to our last big board. Because our last big board, I had Devin White way up at number four. um, And then I had Devin Bush at 14. But when it came to our mock draft, I had Devin Bush at 10, and Devin White at 11. So kind of a little bit of a 180 who those two every day are kind of interchangeable in my mind. But point is, he's a guy that could be a three-down linebacker and a top-20 pick in the NFL draft. I just think that he needs to show against good competition in Florida. Like, I know Michigan has played good competition with Ohio State, Penn State, but, like, this is like you're getting an SEC-type offense, although Florida, one of the weakest things is quarterback. They don't really have a great quarterback on that staff, so the offense takes kind of a hit because of that. But for me, the thing that I think that he needs to show is one of the biggest weaknesses that we've had for him right now is that he's undersized. And it's like he's not going to bulk up from now to the bowl game, but I want to see what you can do against a team that comes from the conference where when we talk about SEC teams, it's like we're talking about men among boys. We are talking about men most of the time because the SEC teams are just bigger, faster, and stronger than most of their competition that comes outside of the SEC. And Devin Bush, if he has a strong game against Florida, I think that that could kind of dampen some of those questions about him being undersized can show what he can do, especially if he shows how he can play sideline to sideline at the next level. That could be one where he could be, oh, he's a three-down back top 20 pick to maybe top 15, top 10 kind of a pick. But it's got to start right now with a good game against Florida in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. I think that he will definitely be able to have people look away from the fact that he's undersized Mm -hmm. if he continues to do what he does well and that's be able to shoot the gap and use his speed Mm -hmm. effectively that's what he's going to be successful at that's that's his kind of bread and butter Mm -hmm. it's not his size and he can show people that he can be successful without that and and he can he's a real opportunity to do it against florida Mm -hmm. because while i think florida's offensive line is 
it they're 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 at least average. They're mm-hmm. at least average, a little bit above average because they they have a they show a a pretty good running game, mm-hmm. but they do struggle to protect their quarterback Felipe Franks, who they've had there for most of the season. If Franks is at quarterback, look for Devin Bush to be pressuring him often. Felipe Franks is not that good of a quarterback. He is slow in his reads. Mm-hmm. He takes a lot of time, and he is forced into some, into some bad decisions, and he has been for the last couple of years now with Florida, which is why he's been a hindrance while the rest of the Florida offense has been fairly good. Mm-hmm. Florida's defense has been their number one spot, has been for a while now. Their offense, minus their running game, which I think is pretty effective, has been a, has been kind of a, a low point for them. But Bush, if he is going to continue to be as quick as he is off the line and shoot the gap, there are not going to be too many offensive players, offensive linemen, that are going to be able to stop him. That's mm-hmm. going to be where he needs to be at his very best in the Florida game to show, hey guys, doesn't matter that I might be a little smaller. What matters is that I can get to the quarterback. Well, and for me, the big thing is just that, where... One of the things that I was reading what Todd McShay had earlier today, and he mentioned how with the undersized also that he gets overwhelmed at times as well. And what a perfect time to show, hey, I'm not going to get overwhelmed than against a team from the SEC. Because let's be honest, most of the teams that Florida played this year, and I'm going to say all the teams except for maybe Missouri that Florida lost to, I mean, you're talking about Georgia and Kentucky, two very good teams this past year. Georgia should have been a playoff team in my mind. Like, that's how good that they are. And if Devin Bush can have a good game against an opponent that is a little bit higher, maybe on a similar plane of Ohio State, but outside of the Big Ten, then it can kind of do dividends for him to say, hey, I'm having a good game. I didn't get overwhelmed against a team that comes from a conference that everyone kind of, unless you're like a huge SEC hater, everyone says that most of the best teams come from the SEC and why the SEC is so competitive each and every year, except for Alabama. They just kind of run through the conference most years. But who's the next guy on your list, the next guy you want to mention needs a strong bowl game this bowl season. The the next guy that I wanted to talk about is going back to the offensive side and going over to Iowa State, another mm-hmm. running back, David Montgomery. And I, I You I, love your running back. I do, I do. And I like looking at the running back position, especially with Montgomery, because I think that he could be battling as the best, possibly the best running mm-hmm. back in this class. Montgomery had a pretty darn good season. He had four games with over 100 yards rushing in his last two, which the reason why I say he needs to have a good bowl game is not because he struggled. It's because he has done so well. His last mm-hmm. two games, Kansas State with a win, 19 carries, 149 yards, three touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Drake, win, 33 carries, 145 yards, two touchdowns. This guy is not really a receiving back. That may be something that is a hindrance when you go to the NFL because it's getting to the point where guys need to be like a Todd Gurley. Guys Mm -hmm. need to be like a Lev Bell where they're a great running back, but they're also a great receiving threat out of the backfield if need be. He needs to probably develop that, but if he can have a really good game against a good Washington State team that was 10-2 and this season and strong in their conference, even though they didn't go to the conference championship game in the Pac-12, David Montgomery can be a guy that is that just explodes for another big game, shows that 
like I said, he's one of the best running backs in the class here in 2019. Mm -hmm. And that's why I feel like running back, and now I'm going to mention a few more of them, um, because now you, I'm assuming this is the only other running back. That's the only other running back I have. Another guy who I do kind of a half with, like down the middle, Mm -hmm. is the Oklahoma State running back, Justice Hill, who is not not taking... Place yes. who is not participating rather in in his bowl game. I was going to say that's that's another one. The two that, that I was I w- just I was yeah. thinking of, but I didn't say him because he wasn't going to play. Yeah, the two that I was going to say that are playing in their bowl game is one of them's L.J. Scott, the running back from Michigan State. Like if he plays well in that one, I don't think it's like it's not a Bryce Love Damian Harris situation where oh if he plays well enough he could be a first round running back, but I feel like there's a possibility that with LJ Scott, it's hey, I'm gonna come out. He's declared for the draft. He's expected to play in the uh red box weird the red box ball um against Oregon. And he's a guy that could to me maybe change it up where right now we see him as a day three pick. We see him as that four through seven. If he has a good game this could then project him and kind of help the kind of rise to where he can play himself into day two, which you might not think that that is significant enough, but for some of these prospects it is because the higher you draft, the higher money you get and how it's scaled out, and he could become a day two prospect if he has a strong game because he's a guy that's been he's been MSU's leading rusher for each of the last three seasons for them. And he can be a guy that, if drafted to the right team, could produce in the run game. So I just want to go to an article by Chris Traposo Mm -hmm. of um, CBS.com, and he had an early thing. This is back at October 16th, so Mm -hmm. way back when the season was just kind of getting underway. He had an article, and it was titled, NFL Draft 2019 (laughs) – David Montgomery, capable of Saquon Barkley-like runs, hmm. and a James Conner floor. And I want to point out one, a couple of things in the article. Last season, a mm-hmm. year ago, per uh, pro football focus, Montgomery averaged uh, over three yards after contact, or, um, yeah, per rush, and forced an eye-popping 86 missed tackles on rushing attempts and set a pro football focus record with 109 total broken tackles and that's counting receptions. So that that's 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 those are in the words of Chris Traposo, but I am taking this article because of the fact that this is where David Montgomery could be. Mm-hmm. I'm I am certainly not saying that he's going to be like what Saquon Barkley has been cuz Saquon Barkley has been very special. I, you, there, there are only a certain amount of guys that come into the league mm-hmm. and are that special. There are guys who can come in and be good but not many guys come in and are as great as Saquon Barkley is and as soon as he's been good. Mm-hmm. And then you look at James Conner, the other guy he's mentioned. He's the one that I like that like name. That James Conner is the floor. Mm-hmm. Look at what James Conner has done. No one knew about James Conner mm-hmm. before he came in for Le'Veon Bell. Now everyone knows about well, James Conner, and he has been such a huge player for Pittsburgh let, for them to be where even they are now. Let's be completely honest. I wouldn't say that nobody knew well, who James Conner was. They, but they did in his wait, name, wait, wait. but they didn't know his play was this I, good. Well, I was going to say, if you knew who James Conner was beforehand, you knew him as the 
the college running back who beat cancer. Like, that's who, what his name was known for. Was he a good college back? Yeah. But, like, most of the general population knew him as the college running back who beat cancer. Yes, absolutely. And the thing I like about you throwing out that name or bringing up that name from the article is James Conner's situation was so different. Um, Because he had the background that he did, there was, like, he wasn't a guy that was going to go day one. Or in the second round, he went late day two into the third round with the Pittsburgh Steelers. But the thing I like about that is if that's the floor, that is telling me that maybe David Montgomery could be a guy. And it depends also how he interviews and how he interacts with teams. But he could be a guy where teams look at him and go, all right, if that's the floor, then he might have to sit a year, but maybe that next year or that third year, he can come out and be after a year in the NFL, the running back that we drafted him to be. And I mean, he had James Conner had the kind of, Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? The privilege I'm going to say to sit behind Le'Veon Bell. And I'm not saying that in the sense of like, Oh, he learned so much from Le'Veon. I'm just saying like, he didn't have to get thrown into the fire as a rookie. He could sit back, do limited reps in games because Le'Veon was the bell cow and Le'Veon was handed off the ball the most on that Steeler team. And then now without Le'Veon, he's kind of stepped up into that role that we did not expect him to kind of fit. Um, one more guy I want to throw out before I have a special question for you. You to always end do. It, is the last guy I want to throw out, I want to go back to the defense. You've been all offense, Brandon. I'm going to go all defense. Josh Allen, the linebacker from Kentucky, because to me, he is the guy that I have already pegged as he's going to be the guy that's the biggest riser, that I feel like the biggest riser this year in the draft, because when you look at it, I kind of have, when it comes to big board, I'm not buying in completely. I've kind of got one foot in the pool and one foot out of the pool. I had him seventh. But then mock draft came along, and the Raiders were at three, and I was like, I can't pass up a pass rusher. And I gave them Josh Allen at number three overall, which a lot of people in that mock draft comment section was like, ah, that might be a little high for Josh Allen. Mel Kuyper's the guy that also has him ridiculously high in the top five. You look at a guy like Todd McShay, he's got expectations a little bit more tempered and has them a little lower He's a guy right now that's all over, depending on who you look at, who you're talking to, and he's a guy that I think of with a solid bowl game. This could then kind of start the rise for me officially, where good bowl game leads into the off-season work, leads into a good combine, and the stock could just be doing this, just boop, all the way up to not number one, but towards the top for Josh Allen, but it's got to start this bowl game when the Kentucky Wildcats go ahead and play. I'm going to say a tough opponent in the Penn State Nittany Lions. Here's the thing that I I think really helps Josh Allen Mm -hmm. is that when you look at the, when you look at, okay, what are, what are your good things? What are your bad things? You look at the good things as being kind of his, his burst. And I think just the fact that he is, he's pretty much already 
NFL ready. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be one of those guys who gets into the league and he's really going to have to take a lot of time to, to grow and, and develop. And the red flags, there's really none. Mm-hmm. You don't look at him and go, oh, you know, his size isn't great or, oh, he really doesn't have the burst or mm-hmm. oh, he doesn't really have the great speed. I'm not saying that he's perfect by any means, <coughs> excuse me, but I am saying that whereas opposed to who we talked about earlier with Devin Bush and we said, okay, his size is definitely one of those things that's going against him. With Josh Allen, you don't see a glaring thing that's going against him and you really just see a guy with truly a lot of upside. You know, I'm surprised you didn't bring up. What's that? Your boy from uh, Buffalo, the wide receiver you like to always talk about, Anthony Johnson. No, I know, I know. I mean, there's, there, uh, you know, I, as, you, you take you taking a hard pass from Buffalo because they've uh, spurred you in the picks a little bit. No, I really wanted to talk about both of those running backs uh-huh. because I, when you come into the the NFL, and I I guess I feel like running backs are such a commodity. They are such a commodity, and everyone these days. Many, many teams are in a running back by committee type Mm -hmm. in in some way, shape, or form. Many. But the few that don't are some of the better teams in the league. Mm -hmm. The Pittsburgh Steelers for a number of years until, of course, this year when Le'Veon Bell spurred them. Le'Veon Bell. Guy who was really didn't have another guy coming in on third downs. It was was Le'Veon Bell. Or take a look at the Los Angeles Chargers for the most part. Mm -hmm. Melvin Gordon. A guy who pretty much is in on all downs. And Gordon has become one of the best pass-catching running backs mm-hmm. in the game. I mean, he's 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 doing it all for for the for the Chargers. So that's Todd what, Gurley until recently. And 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 Todd, Todd Gurley as well. So you look at those running backs who kind of mm-hmm. do it all for their teams. And Sa- mm-hmm. Saquon Barkley would be the lone exception. He's just coming into the league. Giants are awful. They have a lot of other problems. But those other three teams, mm-hmm. some of the well, best teams. In the league and in, in the Pittsburgh Steelers, they're still they're still uh, up in their division. They're they're still a good team. I'm just saying. I know we're we're on this this guy Josh yeah. Allen, but that's why I really wanted to talk about mm-hmm. the running backs yeah. specifically because they're so important as as our wide receivers. Mm-hmm. But running back is more important in my mind. And that's the like the last thing I'll say about Josh Allen is I don't think there's anything in this game that I think will tank his draft stock. Because like you said, he's projected as, yeah, he's a top 20 pick. But wherever he gets drafted, he's going to be a rookie starter for whatever team he's on. I just feel like with a good bowl game against Penn State, the beginning of the rise could start officially nationally for Josh Allen. Last thing I'm going to ask you, though, is right in your wheelhouse. You've been going offense the entire segment. I'm going to go offense to you. I want you to pick one of the guys. So we've got a couple quarterbacks, not named Justin Herbert, not named Dwayne Haskins, not named Will Greer, who we're going to talk about in a second because he's not playing in his bowl game. We've got a couple quarterbacks that are going to be playing in bowl games that might need a good start. You got Daniel Jones from Duke. He's a guy that, depending on who you talk to, is probably seen as the third-best quarterback in this draft class. You got a kid in Auburn, or I'm going to say a guy in Auburn in Jarrett Stidham, who is also, he's a senior coming out of Auburn. He's going to be playing in his bowl game. 
You also have the last one that are two that I'm going to bring up, Kyler Murray, who, yes, we've talked about him last week, about him and going to baseball, but this past weekend has officially put his name into the NFL draft. Hasn't committed to NFL, but his name is in the draft. He is eligible to be drafted in the NFL. He's another one that's going to be playing in a big playoff game. And then the final one that I will bring up, well, two more. The second to last or first to last, Drew Locke from Mizzou. The last one, Ryan Finley from NC State. What's your kind of thoughts on any of these quarterbacks? Kind of pick any of the ones that I mentioned. Just to end it, which quarterback needs a good ball game to help their draft stock for late April? Uh, I'm going to go with Drew Locke because was he was with. he was somebody who I had on my big board, my first one. Mm-hmm. I, I had talked about Drew Locke, and I think that he needs to have a, a, a good bowl game, and I think that he should be able to because um, you look at the opponent, Oklahoma State. So I, I think that that's a, that's a guy because for a while – I had him up there with mm-hmm. like a Will Greer and stuff like that, just being able to throw the ball all over the field. It's fallen off a little bit since then, but without looking at anything, Drew Locke is just one guy who I know you started naming everybody. Even if you wouldn't have named anyone, that's who I was going to pick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, originally I was going to pick Drew Locke because it was, it's funny how the draft process goes, and it does this every single year. Like, if you looked at the way too earlys for most of the mock draft, most of the big boards, everyone loved Drew Locke. Drew Locke, best quarterback prospect in this draft. Where immediately when I saw that, I was like, this is not going to be a good quarterback class. Like, I have never been a huge Drew Locke fan. Um, Although since the beginning, that's who they had as the number one. Now he's kind of fallen off with Herbert and Haskins kind of taking the baton this season. For me, I'm really looking at two. The first one is Jarrett Stidham. And the reason why is Jarrett Stidham to me is not going to be a guy that plays himself into the first round. But to me, he's the he's the type of guy where him being the upperclassman um, quarterback, he's a junior, he's been a guy that's been around for a while, he's got the arm strength, He can put touch on the football. He's a little bit mobile and not just a pure pocket passer. He's a guy that if he has a good bowl game against a team like Purdue that, let's be honest, a lot of people are going to remember, hey, this is that Purdue team that really beat down on Dwayne Haskins and Ohio State. If he has a good bowl game against Purdue, then to me it doesn't push him into the first round because he is a day two guy right now, but it could move him up the quarterback boards and therefore in day two could affect where he's taken in day two. Is he a second round pick? Is he a third round pick? Is he an early second, late second? Is he an early third, late third? To me with a good game, he can kind of solidify himself higher on the quarterback draft boards. And that means he could be more of a second round pick than a third round pick when it comes to Day number two. And then the other one is Daniel Jones. Like I said, depending on who you are, if you ask Brandon Swanson, the third best quarterback in this draft class is the guy we're going to talk about next in Will Greer. But if you ask Mel Kuyper, he's got 
Daniel Jones is the third one. Well, why the hell would you ask him? He, what does he know? And, well, I just wouldn't ask him about running backs because he don't like running backs in the first round. But Daniel Jones, to me, with a good bowl game, I know it's all, like, and that's the thing with Daniel Jones, too. Like, you got Jarrett Stidham. He's going up against Purdue. We talked about Kentucky. They're going to play Penn State. You've got um, guys like Shea Patterson who are playing Florida. And I only mention that because he's a quarterback of Michigan. Like, you've got some of these big matchups between big teams, and Daniel Jones is going up against Temple. That, to me, is number one, a negative in the Daniel Jones stock. Because if he blows the doors off against Duke, there's going to be that small percentage of people that go, yeah, but it was only Temple. Now, look at now if he played Florida, let's see what he could have done. However, what he can do, if he can show NFL scouts what he's good at, and for me, the big thing is showing his accuracy, showing that ball placement, and number two, limiting turnovers. This could be a game that starts the, like I mentioned for Josh Allen, starts the rise. This could be the game for Daniel Jones that makes some teams think, could he be this year's Lamar Jackson? And when I say that, I mean, could he be the quarterback that the team goes, hey, Let's trade to get the 30-second pick so we can get a 50-year option on this guy. So you ran away from me a little bit too early mm-hmm. on Drew Locke. I wasn't quite done saying everything, but Locke. I'm going to. Um, if his first half of the season, 12 touchdowns to six interceptions, and that was in the first six games. In the mm-hmm. last seven games, 13 TDs to just two picks. Those were games against Memphis, Kentucky, Florida, Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt, where he threw the two picks, Tennessee and Arkansas. Mm-hmm. That's what I think is also really important is that towards the end of the season, while I know I said he kind of fell off, he fell off in terms of people talking about him, but he didn't fall off in terms of the production that he was bringing and only two interceptions in his last seven games. That's what I also think is impressive is that you look at the beginning, if he would have kept up on that on that touchdown to interception type of ratio that he mm-hmm. was going with, you know, he ends up with double-digit interceptions, 15, 16 interceptions mm-hmm. on the season. He doesn't. He cleans it up. He makes better throws. He's more accurate. That's what I think is really important, and that's a reason why I think Drew Locke is going to be a guy who is still going to be considered. Maybe not in the first group of five to seven. Mm-hmm. Maybe not. Maybe he is. But he is still going to be around and with all those quarterbacks that you mentioned, I mean, we we still have yet to see if Dwayne Haskins is coming back. Uh, you know, we're not sure if Justin Herbert for sure is going to be in the draft. We haven't heard mm-hmm. anything for sure concrete on those two, mm-hmm. unless, of course, you're talking with them and you know. Yeah. Um, I, I think that we know Will Greer's going to be there. Mm-hmm. We know some of these other quarterbacks are going to be there. But a lot of the quarterbacks you mentioned— Especially this last one you were talking about, David Jones. Daniel. Whoever. Um, literally, like, I don't care. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's one of those, what makes him better than, you know, Drew Drew Locke to this point? Mm-hmm. It, that's that's kind of one of those things. What, are they are they all, are any of them all that great that set themselves out so far apart from the rest of them? Probably not in that group. But I think that when when you get, and me personally, when you get to the Will Greers or the Haskins or the Herberts, Mm -hmm. that's where you start to see, okay, these guys are setting themselves apart a little bit from 
from the uh, from the rest of the, the crowd. And just to solidify also, Daniel Jones is a guy, he hasn't said yes or no either. He's an underclassman, so he would be, he's got one more year of eligibility. He has not officially declared for the draft. So he, like Justin Herbert, who's, and I'm just looking at Mel Kuypers for the sake of argument. Number one is Justin Herbert, hasn't said yes or no. Daniel Jones is number two, hasn't said yes or no. Will Greer at number three, he's the first he one said, yeah. that is yes, and he is not playing in their bowl game, had that nice tweet for the fans. Dwayne Haskins, still don't know. Drew Locke, we know. So right now, our top two, according to guys we know for sure, Will Greer, Drew Locke. The third would be Ryan Finley. The fourth would be guard, guard, Garder. Minshew from Washington State. Like, those are the only ones we know for sure right now because they're not upperclassmen would be coming out. A quick question for you, Ricky, is if, let's say, West Virginia was in the playoff, mm-hmm. do you think that Will Greer is still saying he's not playing? Yes. No, he would play. If they were in he the playoff, play. he would play. He would play. I don't agree with uh, uh, Gundy. At Oklahoma State. I don't think we will ever get to a point. Because I, I know that's what player, we talked about. Yeah, I don't think we'll get there. I don't think we will get to a player that, hey, I'm going to be the number one pick in the draft. I'm not going to play for a championship. Like, a champ, there's a stigmatism or a stigma with the word championship that just makes the human spirit just go, yeah, I want that. I want that. I don't know why I want it. But I want it. I want to be the best like no one ever was. Pokemon. That's what we want. We got to catch them all. That's exactly what I think and why I don't think anyone will skip a playoff game. No one will skip a championship game just because they are in the draft. Any final thoughts on anybody in bowl games before we move on into Will Greer? Nope. Well, this is where you guys come in. Let us know what you think down below in that comment section. Who are guys that you're looking at who need strong bowl games to help their draft stock. Let us know about any of the guys we mentioned in this segment down below in the comment section. But Brandon, let's move on into our next topic. And what we are taking a look at is still the NFL draft, but we're kind of transitioning. I asked you about quarterbacks at the end of the bowl segment because I wanted to kind of move into one guy who is not playing in his bowl game. He's going into the NFL draft, but he's not playing in his bowl game. And that is Will Greer. And the thing I want to ask you, just right off to start, frankly about it, not beating around the bush, how high will Will Greer, that just sounds weird, weird to say, how high will Will Greer go in the NFL draft? When it's all said and done, look into your crystal ball, my man. I think that he could be a... First round talent, I do. Mm-hmm. I do. I, I think that he could be late first round, a, a late first round talent for a team. Even mm-hmm. though the Jacksonville Jaguars will be higher and they need a quarterback badly, they would take one of the other quarterbacks in front of him. Mm-hmm. But I think that what's probably more realistic is that he would be a second round, second round talent, mm-hmm. probably going to a team like the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, and you know. Here's also the thing with Will Greer is that he has been 
for his time in, at West Virginia specifically, because that's where many people now remember him, mm-hmm. or the other people um, are George, uh, or rather Florida fans who remember him as, oh, we had him for a minute until he was uh, suspended, and then we let him go, kind of mm-hmm. walk away from each other. <laughs> Just um, walk away. But uh, he has been a shotgun passer. Mm-hmm. He's been a shotgun passer. He's been a spread system passer. It's not what the Jacksonville Jaguars do. And I know that we're getting a little bit into onside kick territory, or at least I am on Go my ahead. on my comments Go. there. Go ahead. But would that would that do you think him mm-hmm. being a a sh- shotgun formation passer mm-hmm. and a spread offense? Passer. That's that's what he has operated in for most of his career in mm-hmm. college. Would that deter a team like the Jacksonville Jaguars, who are not who are not like that? They're a ground and pound type of type of team with Leonard Fournette. Would that deter them from going after a, guy, a quarterback like that because they would have to change their system? No. And the reason why I say that is. You look at the right now, the top two guys in my mind, in, unless they come back, Justin Herbert, Dwayne Haskins, both of them are kind of similar to what you'll get Will Greer like. And not, neither of those guys are pocket passing, like stay in the pocket pro style. I feel like there aren't too many college quarterbacks exactly. that are like We're, that. You've got Justin Herbert. We're watching his film. I kind of see him as like little Cam. I, little Cam, but like. I only say that because I see a lot of Cam Newton-esque um, everything except for, like, the raw athleticism from Cam Newton in Justin Herbert. And then Dwayne Haskins has never been that guy, I'm going to drop back, wait, 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 pass. He's also got some mobility to him as well. So, like, the answer to that question would be no. They're not going to be like, well, no, you're not a pure pocket passer. We're going to go ahead and pass on you. I think the question comes, and this is – I'm going to relate it to Lamar Jackson because he was the one from last year, is will there be a team like Jacksonville, like New York, who go, hey, you know what we can do? Let's bypass our top 10 pick, go with one of these heavily favorited defensive guys. So, like, if I looked at my last mock draft on the onside kick, I had the Jags go with Justin Herbert. But you can go ahead and look at it. Uh, Let me pull up. I'm going to pull up their needs just so I have an up-to-date of exactly what they need. So their top three needs, according to NFL.com, quarterback, wide receiver, offensive line. So looking at my mock alone, I could look at it and go, Oh, well, you know what? The next wide receiver I have is Marquise Brown, who's at 13. They could go that, but that might be a little bit of a stretch. Other than that, it's like, hey, let's bypass quarterback. Let's go go with like a Rashawn uh, Gary or an Ed Oliver, who were the next two picks right after Herbert in my mock. Let's get some more defensive help. Maybe a Rashawn Gary or, yeah, Rashawn Gary because – we just gave away Dante Fowler Jr., and we can maybe get this young kid to bolster that pass rush. And then we'll trade some of our other picks to trade back into the first round with an L.A. Rams team, 
with a Chargers team right now who are projected 30-31 because I don't think the Packers at 32 um, would trade that pick. Maybe they do. I don't know for more picks. But is there going to be a team like the Jaguars or the Giants that feel that way? Let's go defensive to start because this draft is heavily defensive. And will Will Greer be good enough for them to want to trade back into the first round to get him with that fifth-year option? And, and you know, I, I think that I think that he he is he's a guy. If you look at him, he's got really good touch on his throws. Mm-hmm. I think he does have a really good arm. I think where things start to go a little bit south for him can be uh, he he is a either really good or really bad when he's under pressure. When he's on the run, he is certainly not as accurate. Mm-hmm. He is not as good with his throws. His everything just kind of seems to start to break down for him then. Mm-hmm. When he's when he's on the run, he's not like a Patrick Mahomes where man, he almost might be better when he's on the run and he's moving out of the pocket. Just look at the throw he made against the mm-hmm. Baltimore Ravens. Two weeks ago that he hit Tyree Kill for 48 yards to mm-hmm. on fourth and eight or fourth and nine to keep the game going. They ultimately won. He's he's outstanding on the run. You look at a guy like a Will Greer where when he's in the pocket and he's got time. Oh, he's he is lethal and he is dangerous mm-hmm. when there's pressure coming at him. Again, he's either going to be really good or he's going to to struggle it's not all man he's just so cool calm and collected or he's just completely you know like an eli manning now who goes into the fetal position Mm -hmm. that's where i think he he's going to be one of those players that he's he's got to get better under pressure when things are happening he's got to get better when he's rolling out of the pocket and he's on the run he also has to get better at dropping the ball into receivers i think a little bit better um so it's there when they're coming out of their breaks, as opposed to waiting till they come out of their breaks, missing that opportunity, and then getting it to them where there's a better chance for a defender to make a play on the football. So there are those things that I think he needs to get better at, but I think he's got really good accuracy. I think he's got great ball strength, mm-hmm. and he's a guy who's got great touch. Yeah, and for me, I'm kind of doing a little looking, because first off, to go with something that you had said earlier, because you asked me about, his playing in the spread, and is that going to be a negative? I'm going to say no even more so because the one thing that I forgot about that just watching some film right now jogged to my memory is he's a guy that when you look at him throwing on the run compared to standing tall in the pocket, he throws better when he has time to stand in his stance, stand tall, and throw. That, to me, I can look at that and go, all right. He might have played in the spread, but I can transition him into working in the pocket because that's where he works best. But standing tall, being in his frame, it's just teaching him then when to move, how to move. And one of the other things that I think plays into it is I don't think Will Greer is a guy that, like, a Justin Herbert – Although he's not to me like I'd say any of the quarterbacks we had coming out last year, he's a guy that I would at least, all right, I'm drafting him in the first round. I'm starting him day one or at least doing 
the Baker Mayfield thing of like he's going to start this year or the Lamar Jackson or he'll start this year, but we're going to make sure he's ready. Well, as Will Greer, I if I was an NFL coach, because of his mechanics, and they're not horrible, but they're not ideal, I would be like, there's a good chance he's not going to play year one for me, that we're just going to work with him, and it'll be more of like an Aaron Rodgers type thing of like, we're going to sit him behind our guy, we're going to work with him, and not throw him into the fire before he has to. And the thing I was looking at is, because I'm going back to the only way Will Greer goes in the first round to me is if a team falls in love with them and says, we're going to trade up to get that 50-year option. And looking at last year, because last year Baltimore did that with Lamar Jackson. You had Minnesota did the same thing with Teddy Bridgewater, trading up with that Super Bowl team. So Philadelphia was at 32. They sent the pick to Baltimore. So the trade was Philly sent their first and fourth round picks, which were 32 and 132, to Baltimore. Baltimore had to give up their second and fourth, which were 52 and 125, along with a second round draft for this year's draft class, which would have been the next year. And what I'm doing, and of course this order is going to change a little bit because we're not completely done with the year, but I look at teams in that like 52 range. And even right before 52, there's two that I look at that if Will Greer to me goes in the first round, it's because a team like Miami, who right now is at 50, a team like Washington, who's right now at 48, one of those two teams who have quarterbacks, ideally Washington, it's we got to see how Alex Smith comes back from his injury, but like for the Dolphins, has a quarterback that they can at least have Will Greer sit under that first year. The only question is, are they going to fall in love with him enough to trade with the team in that 31-32 range to get the fifth-year option on him? Otherwise, I feel like the highest Will Greer will be drafted is somewhere in the mid to late second round. Like, I don't think he's an early second round guy because like Lamar Jackson, I think the main reason why he was traded up for was he was an early second round guy. And Baltimore was like, we want that fifth year option. I don't know if Will Greer right now is an early second round guy to me. If he's going to be at his highest right now, I am seeing middle of the second round as his ceiling for how high his draft stock can go. I think that that realistically, if we're talking, Mm -hmm. realistically, second round is where he's going to be. Mm -hmm. Second round is where he is going to find himself going. If he falls the third, like to me, I see a fall being third round nowhere after. Second round, we're probably, I'd say, late second round right now. Ceiling would be middle second round. If he does fall, he would maybe fall middle of the third round at the least. That's what I would say right now. Fan-sided. I want to know your your mm-hmm. thought on this because okay. I, I know that people love to compare. What mm-hmm. are they? What what quarterback in the NFL right now is he most like? The or, pro comparison. You know, gotta love it because people <laughs> hate it. Uh, but fan-sided has his pro comparison as Andy Dalton. Hmm. What do you think? To me, I don't see it. 
I don't either. And the reason, ah, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I really, I really don't, I really don't see it much. You know what? I'm gonna pull up film of Andy Dalton from TCU because the thing, like, to me, when I hear a comparison like that, I immediately think, oh, so what you're saying is he's a second, third round guy who is having a really good season because, like, that's what Andy Dalton, like, Andy Dalton was the surprise, like. Really good at TCU, really good at um, the smaller school. I would have to pull up Andy Dalton highlights to see. It. I, I don't necessarily see. It I think it's. In I my think it's because I, I feel like Will Greer is a little bit more athletic than what Andy Dalton is. I I, I also th- I think of what mm. just Will Greer in college, Andy Dalton now NFL. I think there's more things that Will Greer would be able to do than Andy Dalton. And and maybe, again, maybe that's just me not loving the Cincinnati Bengals and not loving Andy Dalton. Um, and I guess I just see more of what Will Greer can do, is capable of, and, and has potential uh, to bring to the NFL. Maybe that's where I'm mm-hmm. at right now, but I don't I don't see Will Greer uh, being, well, Andy Dalton being his best comparison mm-hmm. personally. Yeah, and like for me, I don't, I don't necessarily see it either because Andy Dalton, to me, if I'm not mistaken, was, let's see, that would be the, I think he was drafted in 2011, was it 2011, 2012? It's either one of the two. Um, I'm gonna go 2011 and see if I was right. Um, so Dalton, yeah, so Dalton was an early second round pick for like, yeah, to me, like that comparison. Doesn't necessarily like I see that, and I don't think um, how they play. I see that. And I don't want to say a weak comparison, but I'm gonna say a weak comparison of like, oh, Andy Dalton was a 35th overall guy. I can see Wilger being a 35th overall guy. He's Andy Dalton. Like that's what I see. The only difference is TCU was from the Mountain West Conference that year, and West Virginia is from the Big 12. Like, that to me, I don't really, unless someone else is sitting there like, no, 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 he is like Andy Dalton, I don't necessarily see it in the footage. I just see it as like, oh, yeah, he could be an early second-round guy. He's Andy Dalton. Like, that's what I see from that pro comparison. I just, there's there's too much good about Will Greer in mm-hmm. my mind uh, for a guy well, you who... Really, you really like Will for, Greer, too. For, but I also, I, I think it's because... Yes, he played on a on an, and I guess also the reason is because he just played on an offense that was so, of course, offensive minded, passing game at the forefront. Mm-hmm. And I and I I did try and watch him a lot and see a lot what he did when when it's mentioned that oh he's got a good deep ball. No, he's got a great deep ball. I mean, the guy has great touch on mm-hmm. his deep ball. And for so many NFL teams right now that are looking for a quarterback, that need a quarterback, they need that too. I mean, you look at a team like a Jacksonville Jaguars. Mm-hmm. They can't, and I know I keep, I know I keep bringing them up, and I'll even bring up the the New York Giants. Of course, the Giants would probably be looking at a quarterback in front of them, but whatever. The what I'm saying works. They can't stretch the field. They can't stretch the field. The only person stretching the field for them right now for the Giants is Saquon Barkley. The mm-hmm. only one stretching the field right now for the Jaguars is no one because no one 
is is doing anything offensively for them. They need a guy who can move the ball down the field effectively, and that's Will Greer. He can get the ball down the field. He is not afraid to take the deep shot. He's not afraid to do that. Now, and uh, and, and he's not just throwing it up there and throwing it over guys' heads. No, he's throwing like, it up there with touch, with precision. That's what he's done in college. I mean, I'm just going to what mm-hmm. he's done in college. I'm not saying that every single play is going to be a deep ball. Yeah. But when you have a quarterback that is so good at being able to do that, then you bring in a running game of both the Giants and the Jags have one. That that just makes the team more dynamic. He brings a really good dynamic factor into what any NFL team that needs a quarterback and that team is struggling is trying to do. Yeah, I just my biggest thing and it's not a red flag, but my biggest weakness when it comes to Will Greer is like I'm watching his highlights right now. And the thing that I look at is you're right. He throws a he throws a good deep ball. He hits the receiver right where it needs to go. But I look at his mechanics and like it just like it's not Tim Tebow bad. But I look at it and I go, that does not look pretty. It looks it looks a little off to me where I'm not gonna say ugly. I would probably say it does not look ideal. And all you would need to do with him is at the next level, tweak those mechanics to where it's your throat. Like to me, the first thing I worry about is, are you developing a bad habit? And the way I'm going to describe it is I bring it back to myself in college. I was a music major and I played clarinet. And the thing that happened was in high school, I was very good. I was like first, second chair depending on, like, how challenges went. And although I was that good, I had developed many bad habits. That when I got to college, my instructor at the time was like, we got to beat these bad habits out of you. Basically, grind through it and make sure I've got good technique. That's what I think is going to happen to Will Greer at the next level. It's like, all right, you're good, but there's some tweaks in your mechanics that we're going to have to get in the film room, get on the practice field, get in there and kind of work with them, tweak some stuff because it's kind of like, yeah, you've been good at the last, at the last level, but to be good at this level, you're going to have to get rid of some bad habits you may have. I think Will Greer, what has like a three quarter arm motion Mm -hmm. and, but I don't think that it's something that necessarily is affecting his, his passing that much I don't think that it I don't think but, that it's that much of a uh, of here, a hindrance and nor will we know but here's the until thing. he gets to the next level I mean every time you, you just because you don't see a guy mm-hmm. throwing it so perfectly at the mm-hmm. perfect arm angle arm motion doesn't mean no, no, no. that necessarily they're going to be bad I'm more worried mm-hmm. I don't give a crap how it looks it's just it needs to be effective I would be more worried with how is he going to handle NFL pressure? NFL well, defense is coming at him. Let me put it and, and and how is he going to how is he going to handle that and what type of quarterback is he going to be when that happens? When they're right in his face, is mm-hmm. he going to be able to do what he struggled doing in college? Mm-hmm. And that was being able to make plays when pressure was coming. Also, is he going to kind of lose the happy feet of when pressure's coming, which he also had mm-hmm. a, a little bit of? That's what I'm more worried about. 
Not arm angle. No, but the thing that it comes to is, like you mentioned it, the three-quarter arm slot. The thing that I look at there is, and now I'm going to compare it to Tim Tebow because although I said it's not as bad as Tim Tebow, one of the big things when Tim Tebow came out was the way he was throwing it, which was like this circular motion. And I see the same thing with Will Greer at the next level that it just takes a cornerback. It takes a DB one, two, maybe three times to get used to how he throws and DBs at the next level. NFL DBs are going to anticipate those throws way easier than a college DB would. And that's the thing that when it comes to the mechanics, that's the kind of tweaking I'm saying. It's not like, hey, your mechanics are shit. We got to rework everything. It's just a, hey, what worked in college is not going to work in the NFL because the guys are bigger, faster, stronger, and also smarter. Because in the NFL, it's your job. Like You go to the field, you go to the training complex, to the good teams, to study film, to get better. Football is your main job 24-7. We're in college. Let's be honest, it's not all that. For some guys, it's all football, but other guys, there's school, there's um, social life, there's football, and at the next level, not saying that NFL pros just turn off everything, but I'm going to say the really good ones during the season, it's football, 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 and enough guys, the good corners will study that and be like, all right, I can pick him off kind of a thing. And I'm not talking like a Jalen Ramsey talking out of my ass thing. I'm saying just a, hey, I can see this, get used to it a couple times, and then I'm deflecting it or picking it off each time you throw my way. Well, I think at the end of the day, I I think Will Greer will be a solid quarterback for any team Mm -hmm. that ends up getting him, and and I think that we're, we're probably realistically looking at him in the second round. Well, I would say the same thing, second round talent. The thing that I can't wait for, and Mark and I will have to dive into this, is now that I'm looking at like possible teams that can trade up, my mind is all going into now possible fits for Will Greer. I'll ask you before we end this, is if you had to give one team just with your gut, who do you think would be the best fit for Will Greer? Any team, not just the Jags, not just the Giants. Well, I was going to ask you because right now I'm trying. I was trying mm-hmm. to think in my head of what teams are going to need a quarterback. You want me to give you a list, especially after the teams last year got one. Yes, you want me to give list. you a list? Jacksonville. Um, so you got Jacksonville could need one. The Giants could need one. Miami, depending on Ryan Tannehill. The Redskins, depending on the injury to Alex Smith and Colt McCoy, because um, they both broke their legs. Um, you've got Denver with the Case Keenum experiment. They could go with a quarterback. And then also I would throw in, you've got teams like Oakland, who is John Gruden going to be um, married to Derek Carr forever. You've got the Green Bay Packers. Are they going to draft someone to be under a um, Aaron Rodgers? So those would be some of the teams that I look at that could go quarterback. Also the Buccaneers, are they going to get rid of um, Jameis Winston anytime soon. Mm, I, I feel like of the teams that you mentioned, and it's and it's one that's I don't know it's sticking out in the back in my mind the mm-hmm. the most may be the team that you mentioned last the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I, I feel like that would be a team that mm-hmm. they 
they seem very much to me West Coast style offense, spread offense, like to throw the ball, can't. Um, and that's because they don't have a very good quarterback. And then when they uh, do, it's because they got Fitzmagic in there, and he can just bomb the ball out. And and I, so so <laughs> so I I feel like that could be uh, that could be a fit. I also mm-hmm. feel like uh, the the Oakland Raiders could be a, a, a fit. And, and and you just don't know what's gonna mm-hmm. what's going to happen there with Derek Carr. I guess of the teams that definitely do not have a quarterback. And I, I guess I'm also thinking in my mind mm-hmm. of players that could be going there before yeah, Greer. Like free agency. Um, I, uh, I guess I also just think of the players <laughs> that they have too. I don't know. Maybe a. Maybe maybe a Miami. I, I mean, it's I mean, it's, it's really bad. I, I was gonna say maybe Miami because I would be really interested. They don't really have a lot of weapons. They truly mm-hmm. just don't, especially in the receiving game. Yeah, but because because then it would be like, well, who the heck are you throwing to? Mm-hmm. But to actually get a quarterback in there who can do something that's not named Ryan Tannehill, that's not named Jake Cutler. It would be really interesting to see what they could do, especially where it looks like the New England Patriots, they're not... We know that New England's been great for a long time. They've they've won 10 straight AFC East titles. Mm-hmm. How long is that going to last? Mm-hmm. And does it just take, and it won't just take this, but will it take a, a quarterback getting in there, a new, fresh quarterback who can really lead that offense... Couple more pieces around them, and then do we start to see another team with the Jets? They've got Darnold, more pieces around him, and then Darnold starts to to get better. Allen, we've already seen what he can do as a quarterback with Buffalo. If they have some pieces, I mean, we're talking about mm-hmm. teams that literally they could be they should just be thrown to a brick wall because yeah. it doesn't matter. I mean, no one's going to catch it. Mm-hmm. But it, I would be intrigued what Miami could do. With a, a guy like a Greer in there, and maybe another piece or two on the offensive side uh, at, at receiver, that would be that would be really interesting to me to see what that team could be like and how different it could be. A little spoiler mode: Miami was the first team that I thought of. Miami was the first one that I thought of for Will Greer. But this is where you guys come in. Let us know what you think down below in the comment section. What do you think about Will Greer? How high will he be drafted? What do you like? What do you don't like? Anything that we talked about during this segment, let us know down below. And Brandon, let's move on into our final topic before we go on into our picks for bowl season or bowl season, but week number two. And we're diving this topic into the NBA draft. We've talked NFL draft for the first two, going to change it up, go NBA. And we're going a little interesting topic here. And the way I phrased it, if you were on YouTube and you're looking for the answer is or could Rui Hachimura be the next Giannis Antetokounmpo, then you'll get that answer later on. I know I'm for sure going to dive into that at some point. But basically this segment is going to be us talking about how high could Rui, Rui Hachimura's draft stock be. Because I was reading an article today trying to find a NBA draft topic for us because you know, we're in that middle ground where we've got two weeks until the big board and kind of bridging us over to that. 
And there was an article on SirCharlesInCharge.com, which is of the fan-sided network. And this article by Quinn Allen was Rui Hachimura solidifying himself as a legitimate prospect. And I kind of thought to kind of talk about this because if you look at the mock draft that we did on the fast break, we were kind of all over the place where Sean had Rui at 16, I had Rui at 18, Dave had him all the way up at number 12. So we kind of all have him outside the top 10, but we're kind of a little all over the place of where we have him in between 11 through 20. Then I look at our big board, our top five, top 10. I had Rui Hachimura at 17 for our 1.0. You had him as high as number six in the big board. So the question I want to ask, although on YouTube it says, could he be the next Giannis? We're going to get into that a little later. I'm going to have a thing where I kind of go off into a tangent about that. But, Brandon, the thing I want to ask you is with Rui Hachimura, because I think most people have him as a top 20 prospect, how high do you think his draft stock could rise, especially because I'm going to say he's playing with the stigmatism of playing for the Gonzaga Bulldogs who aren't really used to having guys who are like top five, top three talents in the draft I, I think I, I think that we could really see Rui rise to a to a top five talent mm-hmm. I, I really do because if you look at Gonzaga right now ranked number six mm-hmm. number After six I, I, there are two back-to-back yes, losses with the last one being North Carolina mm-hmm. um, I I know that they're they're up there they're within the top 10 uh, at least is Gonzaga they've been a really good team and really one of the biggest reasons why has been Rui in the way that he's played. Mm-hmm. You look at what he did last season. He was averaging a little over 11 points in about 20 minutes of game time. This year, he's averaging 21 points in 30 minutes of game time. And they have fallen to eight. I just pulled it up. So they're, the Zags are now the eighth best team in the AP Top 25. He's also been just a sharpshooter on the floor this mm-hmm. year. From the field overall, he's shooting almost 55%. From three, he's over 40%. Mm-hmm. Free throw, over 70%. These are numbers that you totally want to see. He's doubling his production. Last year, he only took 26 threes. This mm-hmm. season already, he's taken 16. I mean, he's putting, he's getting up more shots. He's getting more playing time. He is a huge factor. He's an X factor for this team right now. He's going to be a reason why Gonzaga is going to rise, why they're going to be able to go far once they get into the tournament. Mm -hmm. It's going to be because of Rui. He has just become a different player this season. He's doing more. They're giving him more time, and he's absolutely making the most of it. He's been an exciting player. Yeah, and I mean, for me, the thing that I'm kind of interested in, I'll say, is... The thing that, like, and I mean, Quinn mentions this in his article, is one of the big things is he's having one of his best seasons yet. And the thing that I really look at is I feel like the Dukies, they're going to get the national, like, they're going to get the national spotlight. Then you also have um, guys like Nasir Little, guys like Ball Ball, or Ball Ball. Those are also going to have national spotlight to them. I wonder with... 
Rui Hachimura, how much of the national spotlight outside of the college game? Like, I feel like the college basketball aficionados are going to be, they're going to focus on Gonzaga and know what you're getting from them. But I'm talking about the guys who are like NBA guys that are looking at these guys for what they could bring to the NBA. Not many of them are going to be like, oh, the Gonzaga Bulldogs, I know all about them because although I'm going to say they're a powerhouse, they're not one of the big teams when you come to like Power 5 and stuff. And the thing that I look at is, first off, when Quinn says he's a physical specimen, he's 6'8", 225 pounds, and he's got a 7'2 wingspan. And that, to me is the most interesting part because in what I've titled this video and what Quinn goes into at the end of the article is could Rui be the next Giannis Antetokounmpo? And for me, I'm right now leaning towards no. And the reason why is when I look at Giannis, Giannis to me is nobody expected him to be what he is, a power forward who can play point forward, who's basically the leading scorer on a team, and he's there's a reason why we call him the Greek freak, because he does things that are freakish, and he's also a, to me, more of a physical specimen than Rui Hachimura, where you've got Giannis, who, of course, he's a little bit older um, than Rui, but he's 6'11", 242. The thing that I wonder with Rui is, will that 6'8 hold him? I don't want to say hold him back, but how will that 6'8 play in the NBA? Because I look at most of the power forwards, like even a Marvin Bagley from last year, he was 6'11". Now, I know that the wingspan, 7'2 wingspan is nice to have that long wingspan, but when it comes to that 6'8", is that going to be seen as a little smaller to where he's not going to be necessarily be a power forward? He might be able to slide out, play the power forward, but be more of that stretch four because of, like you said, he's shooting at a better clip this year from three. But can he use his athleticism? Because even I know this from the Illinois game because that was the first time I really saw him play this year. Was he's a guy right now that has the athleticism? to drive into the basket, but I wonder if if he was 6'11 with that 7'2 wingspan, would that be better than being 6'8 with that 7'2? I said 7'10, that's 7'2 wingspan. Do you think the three inches I'm kind of harping on matter at all? I mean, three inches are always going to, to make a difference mm-hmm. one way or another, but I don't know if it's necessarily going to be such... A, deterrent. A, a, a a bad thing for him to mm-hmm. be at at six eight. I mean, I think he's he's still going to be able to have a a, a ton of success at six eight. And, and and those are the things that you you get when you're comparing him to to Giannis. He's he's long. He's lean. He's a guy who's just who plays pretty big and and, and powerful. I don't know. Um. When you when you're comparing the two, mm-hmm. it, I I still think it's I still think it's difficult because obviously we've seen multiple years from Giannis now in the in the NBA and mm-hmm. we're just starting to see what Rui 
Hachimura is is able to bring. Mm -hmm. Last year, if we were looking at the same kid from last year, we're probably not having this discussion because he's certainly not at this level. Mm -hmm. But he is really coming on. They're giving him the tick, and he's making the absolute most out of it. He's a guy who drives strong in the paint. That is where he is continuing to have great success is Mm -hmm. in the paint. He needs to become a little bit more of a consistent jump shooter, but within the paint, that is his bread and butter area. He owns that, and he's going to continue to be better throughout this season. And as I've mentioned so many times with so many players, especially with the NBA, is the consistency. If he continues to be consistent, Mm -hmm. he is going to start to really get a lot of people thinking he's a top five mm-hmm. talent in the draft. And that's and that's the thing. But he's also going to, you talk about the 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 NBA guys who are looking at college and then just the college guys who are looking at college. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm more obviously the college guys who's just looking at college. He is such a game changer. That that is why I'm not saying that Gonzaga would be bad if they didn't have him, mm-hmm. but they would certainly not be at the level that they're at and at the ranking mm-hmm. that they're at today without him. No. Hands down, without well, a doubt. And the last thing, this is kind of the last thing I'll put on it is, I feel like, and the exact quote from Quinn, so I'm not confusing anyone here, is, and I quote, he has great games, then he struggles the next. He has similar traits to Giannis Antetokounmpo in the way he plays. Hachimura has very similar, uh, very similar build to the Greek Freak, lean, long, lean, and powerful. Just like Antetokounmpo, he likes to play most of his game in the paint. Hachimura will have to become a more consistent jump shooter inside the perimeter over time, though because he does struggle at times to make two-point attempts. The reason why I agree and disagree with what Quinn's going with here, because the thing that I feel like is the just like Giannis, he likes to play most of his game in the paint. I don't think I don't think he'll be able to do that the same he does in college at the NBA. In the NBA, I see Rui Hachimura as a three. And the reason why I say that is because of the 6'8 height, because I'm going to list off some, just some heights for some small forwards. Ignore the names. Kevin Durant, he's 5'9", 240. You've got Paul George, who is, or I said 5'9", I meant 6'9", 6'9", 240. Paul George, 6'9", 220. Then guys who were in last year's draft, Luka Doncic, 6'7", 218. Some are going to say shooting guard, but he's listed shooting guard, small forward. Then you've got Kevin Knox, 6'9", 215. Mikhail Bridges, 6'7", 210. And then Miles Bridges, 6'7", 225. I feel like Hachimura at the next level is going to be a much better prospect if he is slotted in at that three spot compared to the four spot. Because Giannis, to me... I know people are going to throw out there and say positionless basketball, but like Giannis is a four because he's 6'11", can dominate in the paint, plus he can handle the ball and drive in like a point guard. I feel like 
Rui Hachimura, like, I don't want to say his ceiling, but I'm going to say if he becomes the same type of player, because the question is, could he become the next Giannis Antetokounmpo? I feel like if we're going to answer that question, he's not going to become the next Giannis. He's going to become the next, like, Kevin Durant, the guy who can have the ball in his hands, can shoot from the outside, can drive, can do everything for his team. And I say Kevin Durant because I feel like because he is 6'8", Rui is 6'8", I would put him more in the category of a 3 rather than a 4 in the NBA, even though he has that 7'2 wingspan. But the last question I think I'll have for you, Brandon, is this, just to kind of solidify it in this way, is because also in two weeks, since you're going to be on your little sabbatical, I'm going to call it, um, and won't be on for your big board, the last time we had a big board, you had him at 6. As of right now, do you think, A, do you think there will be any change to that? And B, a little prediction. I know it's early because we're just going to get into conference play, but let's be honest, Rui's conference play is not going to be as hard as like Duke's no, or something no, like that. They're going to run through their conference, and it's probably going to be easy the rest of the year. What percentage would you, the part B is, what percentage would you put on that he's a top five pick when we get to the NBA draft in June? Uh, what was A? The a first, was, could you see him is, move up in my big board? Yes, because you then, had him at six. So yeah. can he move into the top five if you did the big board in two weeks? Yes, I, I, I would, I would mm-hmm. say yes, he can. He, I think he's been, e- even while, yes, there's going to be some knocks on his consistency of having, you know, a really good game, 33 mm-hmm. points, and then he's down at 17 points, you know, and just in, in, in the next one, I think he's by far one of the better players Mm-hmm. Right now, in all of college basketball, with of course all of Duke, um, you know, they're, with their, with their, with the their big three. three being guys that are solidified mm-hmm. in their in their top three spots right now. But could he move into four? Could he move into five? Yes, I definitely think he could. And obviously, without going through everything mm-hmm. and, and and reworking the big board and, and looking at who yeah. might slide in, who might slide out, I could definitely see him being someone who could slide up mm-hmm. just because of the production and what he's done and what he's doing for his team. And then part B. The percentage of when we get to June, what percentage, how confident percentage-wise do you feel that he will be then a top five pick in the NBA draft? I'm going to go with 65%. That's pretty high. I mean, that's I was the thought I was thinking in my head is that you were going to say 75%. That's how confident I thought you is. For me, I'm still at about 50% when it comes to top five because I can see GMs and scouts falling in love with him because I like what he brings to the game, but I'm looking at him through the lens of a three, not a four. But also the thing that kind of, for me, that's going to hamper it is the top three picks, I think, are going to be Duke, Duke, Duke. There's no change in that all year unless one goes down with a like season-ending injury. Um, so you've got three Duke guys there. Then I think that you've got, like, Ball Ball could be in the top five. Kevin Porter Jr. could play himself into the top five. You've got guys like John Morant who could play themselves into a top five. And then there's Rui Hachimura that 
is playing himself up into that discussion as well. Don't even, like, I even forgot to mention, like, a Nasir Little, who's, although I think he's used horribly right now with the Tar Heels, teams could fall in love with him and Romeo Langford as well. All these guys could be kind of jockeying for that four or five in the NBA draft. But this is where you guys come in. Let us know what you think down below about Rui Hachimura. What do you think about him? What do you like? What do you don't like? How does he fit to you in the NBA? And then that question we kind of asked about. Uh, I know I was taking it from Quinn's article, but how could he be the next Giannis in the NBA? And take that question. I know this is going to be a Pandora's box, but... Take that question however you want. I want to hear it from you. How do you take that question? Continue that comment or continue that conversation down below in the comment section. And Brandon, let's close out the podcast like we always do. And we do that by making our picks in the world of college football. And this is a most wonderful time of the year because it's Brandon's favorite time of the year. It's bowl season. You get to pick all these bowl games. And Man, I'm so excited. I mean, like the, what, we're going to have the Boca Raton Bowl this week, the DLX Frisco Bowl. I think I said that right. Um, we've also got the Bahamas Bowl and the, my favorite of the bowls, although Boise State's not in this bowl game, um, the famous Idaho Potato Bowl. We got that bowl this weekend. And I got to mention our bowl mania group because. I believe it's Victor, if I am not mistaken. Got to pull up the tweet himself. Got to give him some love because, Brandon, this was – he tweeted at us at Most Valuable Podcast. His tweet said, Victor, by the way, uh, listening to us all the way from Sydney, Australia, I believe. Uh, hello, Governor. I think that's the only thing that I can really say that is kind of a joke at Australia. I don't know about you. If you do a good Australian accent. I don't think – Hello, Govna is Australian. Well, it's kind of English Australian or a dingo. I, I just think of Seinfeld. Like a dingo. dingo. A dingo ate my baby or a dingo ate your baby from uh, Seinfeld. But Victor tweeted at us. He said, I am happy with my start to hashtag bowl mania. All I want to do is do better than my last year's pickums. He was 26 and 41. And I am good at most valuable pod. And so far through the first five, Brandon, he is five and oh. I am in second place of these are also confidence. I went three and three. Then you had um, Walker Wall Waldrop. I hope I said that right. Um, he only had one wrong, the ASU game. Then Super Hippo, that's Kyle, only had one wrong, that Eastern Michigan game. And then Hollywood Willie only got one right. He got the Georgia Southern game right this weekend. But Let's hope I do a lot better in our pick because out of the games we picked, I went 2-3, and three, you went 4-1, and one, so now you're not just 10 games ahead of me, it's backfired on me, and now you're 12 games ahead of me. You are 222-62, and 62. I am 210-73, and 73, I should be, yep, 210, let me put that in right, and 73 for our pick let's hope that... Maybe this week's a little bit more kinder to me. The first one we are going to pick, though, comes at us this Tuesday tonight as you might be watching this. The Boca Raton Bowl in Boca Raton, Florida. We got UAB. We got Northern Illinois. 
Who are you taking in this one? The Blazers or the Huskies? I you know, warned you about this one, too. I know. Um, I really hate picking uh, <laughs> these bowl games. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really don't like games like this. Uh, I'm going to go with UAB. Um, they have the better record. They've had the better overall season. But that also means that Northern Illinois now will win. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually going to the one thing that I completely forgot about is because I filled out my bowl mania sheet, I can just open up my bowl mania and go to who I had picked, although I got to find it because of this confidence um, meter. Let's see. UA. Oh, is UAB's game not on here? Oh, there it is. I'm going NIU. Um, so NIU for the win. That is also my four point confidence pick. So I'll also give my confidence meter on that one. Who did you pick again? Just so I can put it on the spreadsheet. UAB. All right. So I'm going opposite with you because mm-hmm. I wanted to do that in general. The next game we've got though comes at us at to us on Wednesday. As I said, the DLS Frisco Bowl, which is going to take place in it's Frisco. DXL. Did I say DLX? You said DLS, I think. DXL, Frisco Bowl, which has taken place in Frisco, Texas, Toyota Stadium. I thought that was around here in Chicago where the fire play. But we got San Diego State. We got Ohio. Who you taking, the Aztecs or the Bobcats? I'm going with Ohio. Ohio closed out their season with two straight wins. San Diego State lost three in a row. They are not Mm -hmm. doing uh, all that well. So I, I'm thinking that uh, Ohio has the, the upper hand in this one. I'm, I'm going with Ohio. And what's funny, I'm looking at my my ball pick and we are going to be opposite again, Brandon. This is my 12-point, no, my 13-point confidence pick as I'm going with San Diego State to your Ohio. So, so far, I'm being a little bold without knowing it, going Back-to-back two picks against you. Then we got another solo bowl game day as the Bad Boy Mowers. Uh, is that the Gresparilia Bowl? I really hate these bowl games. But it's in Raymond James Raymond James Stadium in Tampa, Florida. Who are you going with? The Marshall Thundering Herd or the South Florida Bulls? We are Marshall. South Florida has lost their last five games. They've mm. been garbage. Marshall. Yeah, you said that they've lost their last five, and uh, I changed my pick here on the podcast, and I hope it's a win because uh, I have gone with a 20-point confidence on this one. I'm going to pick Marshall along with you, switching that um, from originally having South Florida as the pick. Then we got two Friday games, the first one being the Bahamas Bowl, the Makers Wanted Bahamas Bowl. That's going to be at Thomas Robinson Stadium. Who you got, Florida International or Toledo? Doesn't Florida International have a have a uh, former Alabama coach coaching them? No, you're thinking them? Florida Atlantic. Never mind. Yeah, you're thinking FAU, the Owls, yeah. not the Panthers. Either way, stupid team. I'm going <laughs> with Toledo. Yeah, I'm going to go Toledo as well. This is one of my – this is number six – on my confidence meter, Toledo, to get the win over Florida International in this game. Then the next one we are picking is going to be Western Michigan and BYU in my favorite bowl, the famous Idaho Potato Bowl. 
It's in Boise, Idaho. I wish the Boise State Broncos were in this game, but they are too good to be showing their face in this one. The Cougars are a 12-and-a-half-point favorite. Who you got, the Broncos or the Cougars? Oh, I don't know. Um, the uh, BYU, uh, they're they're just lucky to be here uh, <laughs> at six and six. They didn't have that great of a season. Western Michigan, seven and five. I, I'll go Western Michigan. All right, I'm going to go with BYU in this one, and this is my nine point confidence game of the thirty that we have, or the thirty two that we have. Then. The Saturday games, the last ones we're picking. The first one, the Birmingham Bowl in Birmingham, Alabama. The Memphis Tigers, the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. Who are you going with, B? Uh, Wake Forest shouldn't be here, uh, to be honest with you. So screw them. They're six and six. And yeah, well, yeah. I mean, come on. They didn't you know do that six well. Six wins is like the regular benchmark, right? Oh yeah, I know. Okay, they shouldn't be okay. here. <laughs> okay, uh, Memphis. Yeah, I'm gonna go Memphis as well. I've got this 24 points on the confidence meter with the Memphis Tigers getting the win, especially after good old Penny Hardaway was upset that the Tennessee Vols got into a fight with their basketball team over the weekend. Then we're going to go on into the Armed Forces Bowl in Fort Wayne, Texas. We got Houston without Ed Oliver. We got Army at 10-2. and two. Who are you going with, the Cougars or the Knights? I'm going with Army. They've had a, such a great season at 10-2. and two. Houston's had an up-and-down season, especially towards the end of the year. I'm going to go with Army. Yeah, I'm going Army as well to beat the Cougars. This is my 27-point confidence game, so a little bit uh, high on that confidence. Moving right along, we got two left. The Dollar General Bowl, maybe Shaq is going to be there in Mobile, Alabama. He probably won't. Um, but he should. We got the 10-3 and three Buffalo, um, I think it's what, Buffalo Bulls, I think it is, Buffalo Bulls, going up against the Troy Trojans. Who you got, Buffalo or Troy? Buffalo, another team, kind of like NIU. Whenever you pick them, they like to uh, lose on you, and then when you don't pick them, they like to win. Yeah, Buffalo and I have had a almost uh, close to a hate-hate <laughs> relationship this hate, year. hate um, I, I am going to go with Buffalo in this mm-hmm. one. I think that they'll be able to pull this one out against Troy. Yeah, this is another one where you and I are on opposite sides of the fence, my friend, as I'm going with Troy in my 10-point confidence game, Troy to get the win. And then the Hawaii Bowl, which will feature the Hawaii Rainbow Warriors. Um, they will play Louisiana Tech in Honolulu, Alo- Aloha Stadium. The line on this one is an even who are you going with, the Rainbow Warriors or Louisiana Tech? I think I'm going to go with Hawaii. Let's see. Who do, who did I pick for this one? I picked Hawaii as well in a seven-point confidence meter game. So both of us picking Hawaii. That means that, let's see, how many did we have opposite? One, two, three. So four of the nine. If I get all four of those games right... I can then go from 12 behind you to about 8 behind you, if my math is correct. So let's just hope in those games I have all of them correct. Shout out to Victor yet again for, uh, to the Victor go, the spoils so far, as he is 100% in our Bowl Mania pick'em. But thank you guys for checking out the podcast this week. Let us know your picks down below in the comment section. What are you thinking about the big Bowl games this week? week. Brandon will not be with me 
for two weeks because he decided to take a sabbatical over the Christmas and New Year. So, Brandon, this is the last time you're going to see them for 2018. Like, this is the last... You do know how big of a deal this is, right? Like, you're saying goodbye to 2018 on December 17th. Not that big of a deal. You're just looking forward to 2019. It's the same thing. Same thing. 2018 goes right into 2019, just another day. Well, it's kind of it's kind of like a birthday after you hit the age of about I don't know 16, 17. It's just like another day. Hey man, it's another day. Especially 20, 22, and 23. Once you're all past that, Mm -hmm. until you get to about 50, and then 60, and then all those. Right on the 70, 80, if you make it to a hunt, you know, that's, I mean, those are all special hey, then, but I'm other than that, in, it's I'm like, I'm turning eh. into one of those people where it's like, it's not just a birthday, it's a birth week when it comes to your birthday. Celebrate you're that not a whole birth, week. Birth month person. Eh, you don't get the whole month, but I'll give you at least the entire week to have a really good week if you want. But thank you guys for checking out the podcast. Make sure to check out patreon.com backslash most valid podcast. Thank you to Soapy Muffin, our newest patron at the $5 tier. You can also support the channel by going down and getting yourself an MVP t-shirt either down in the description or mostvalualpodcasts.com where you can catch MVP each and every day. And then last but not least, make sure to rate the Primetime Podcast on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Thank you guys for watching on YouTube. Thank you guys for listening on podcast services around the world. And as always, have a good day, everybody. Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts.